From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Thursday edition, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down differing decisions in two of the Biden administration's vaccine mandate cases. The high court essentially said the administration had overstepped its authority with forcing private employers with over 100 employees to test or jab their workers. However, the court did say the mandate on health care workers can go forward. We'll get the details of the decision from Katherine Johnson, FRC's research fellow for legal and policy studies, in just a moment. Later, Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita, one of the state attorneys general leading the effort to stop the mandates, will give us his reaction to the court's decision. And yesterday, Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer was on Morning Joe perfecting the White House's talking point that opponents of the federal takeover of elections are racist. What they're doing, it's not aimed at the public in general. It's aimed at Democratic constituencies, folks that vote Democratic, people of color, uh, young people, uh, urban people, elderly and handicapped people. This is a dastardly act, and it goes beyond even any kind of politics, Democrat, Republican. It's a real threat to our democracy. Democrats have reportedly found a way to have a debate or show, if you will, on their election takeover bill on the Senate floor. But they still have not been able to garner the support needed to pass the measures. We'll get the latest on what is happening in the U.S. Senate from Iowa Senator Joni Ernst in just a moment. By the way, is the federal election takeover really a priority with the American people? Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell drew attention to that question earlier today. A recent survey asked Americans for their view of the most important problems facing our country. Of course, we know what Washington Democrats view as their top priority. Well, what their top priorities are and the American people's priorities, two different things. We'll talk a little bit more about that later here on Washington Watch. While most of the attention has been focused on the Democratic Kabuki Theater, confirmations in the Senate have been continuing. President Biden's pick to run the FDA has raised a lot of red flags over his dangerous record on abortion. We'll talk with Indiana Senator Mike Braun, who has been leading the effort to stop Robert Califf. That's coming up later here on Washington Watch. And finally, I once again turn to the ever-reliable source of outrageous claims, Senate Leader Chuck Schumer. And how can we in good conscience allow for a situation in which the Republican Party can debate and pass suppression voter, law, voter suppression laws at the state level with only a simple majority vote? but not allow the United States Senate to do the same. We're going to be joined by Jay Christian Adams, president and general counsel of Public Interest Legal, who has been tracking what has actually been happening at the state level when it comes to election reforms. He'll join me later with the facts. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you happen to miss anything, it's all archived later at TonyPerkins.com. Today's verse from our Stand on the Word Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 30, verse 27. And Laban said to him, that being Jacob, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. That's Genesis 30, 27. You know what? As you and I follow the Lord and his blessing is upon us, those around us enjoy the benefit of that blessing. The key is following the Lord. You want to be a blessing? Follow the truth of God's word. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Earlier this afternoon, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down differing decisions in two of the Biden administration's COVID vaccine mandate case. Uh, joining me uh, now with legal analysis is FRC's own Catherine Beck-Johnson, our research fellow for legal and policy studies. Catherine, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. It's wonderful to be on. All right. So what's uh, what's the reaction to uh, these two decisions being handed down by the court today? I think the main reaction is that we were victorious at the Supreme Court. While the Supreme Court is permitting the Medicare and Medicaid vaccine mandate to go forward, the OSHA mandate was struck down. And that's where the government was really reaching its tentacles into the private employers, the private businesses, and their 
work with their employees and mandating this private health decision that had nothing to do with the government at all. And they were really grappling for any sort of legal authority to give them the authority to do this. And that was very clear to the Supreme Court that there was no authority to do this. And that really was what is the huge victory for us, that the government cannot mandate these private employers with 100 employees to require their workers to get the job. So, Catherine, in the case of the medical workers, these are facilities that receive Medicare or Medicaid funding. So was it the federal funding that were the strings that the uh, court relied upon to allow that mandate to go forward? That's right. There, Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh did side with the liberal justices saying that, look, the secretary has the authority to look for health and safety standards for anybody who is contracting or working in these Medicaid and Medicare facilities, especially because most of the recipients of these are the vulnerable, especially where the disease is more dangerous to these people. The dissent found that this was not the case. You know, this was Justice Thomas, Alito, Barrett, um, and Gorsuch said, you know, that really, that authority was more so to deal with these everyday administrative tasks, not to set forward this huge public health policy that the secretary did in mandating the vaccine. But you're exactly right. They found that these were federal contractors, and therefore the secretary had the authority to mandate this health standard. A final question for you, Catherine. Are there other lawsuits regarding mandates in the pipeline? There are a few others, but this really, the administrative stay that the Supreme Court granted in this certainly set the tone. And I think this, we will see a lot of more victories for those fighting the mandates. All right, Catherine Johnson, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, continuing our discussion on today's breaking news from the Supreme Court, Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa joins me now. Senator, welcome back to the program. Oh, thank you, Tony. It's really great to be with you. Let me first, uh, before we get into Senate business, let me get your reaction to the Supreme Court's decision on the vaccine mandates. Oh, I am so thankful at least to hear of the um, mandate being rejected by the Supreme Court um, coming down on our larger businesses across the United States. I absolutely believe it was an overreach of our federal government to do that. Um, I do think it is worth exploring more um, how we can help those that are in the healthcare industry, but at least we feel very good about the decision that they've handed down uh, when it comes to the overreach of the Biden administration with our larger employers. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, no one ever thought, at least conservatives never thought that the Supreme Court would be the backstop to constitutional government. But uh, that was the result <laughs> of the hard work that uh, you and your colleagues did, along with uh, former President Trump and getting uh, strict constructionists appointed to the courts. Yes. Oh, yes. And, and that was a, a heavy lift. But uh, thankfully, we were able to do that. And we do have um, those that will actually look at our Constitution, read it, know it, understand it, and now put it into practice. Senator, I'm going to move on to uh, what's happening there and uh, just outside the chamber that you're uh, in, where the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, his crusade to get rid of the filibuster in the name of voting rights. Uh, apparently a huddle today with the president and Democratic senators. What's the latest? Well, the latest here is that um, we do know now that there are, well, we know at least one member of the Democratic caucus has COVID and so cannot be voting on the floor. We also know that there are two senators which have very publicly today uh, rejected the idea of changing the filibuster. Um, so Senator Kirsten uh, Cinema of Arizona and Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, both of them have made public statements today saying that they did not believe it was the right thing to do. So as of this moment, we do feel that the Senate filibuster will remain in place. However, there is still discussion out there about having a vote on uh, the, the, what they are terming the voting rights bill. But um, we know that 
even that bill may have some trouble passing. It won't pass without eliminating the filibuster, um, but I just want to caution all of the listeners that what they're terming as voting rights actually would eliminate popular voter ID requirements at the polls. It would legalize ballot harvesting, and it would basically put D.C. bureaucrats in charge of America's local and state-run election systems. And it, it essentially is a federal jobs program for political consultants and pollsters. So it's not truly about voting rights. And the steps that they would be taking within that bill actually allow it um, to become easier to cheat. And Republicans, of course, want to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. But that's not what this bill is. So uh, for now, I do believe we are in a safe situation. That could change, you know, but for now, I think the Senate filibuster is safe. Speaking of that filibuster, I I want to play a clip, a very short clip from uh, then-Senator Joe Biden. I've been around a while, and I remember when Senator Frist was a majority leader, and uh, the the Democrats were using the filibuster, and there was discussion of eliminating the filibuster for judicial nominees. Now, Mm -hmm. that subsequently was changed by the Democrats, uh, but I want to play a clip of uh, Senator Joe Biden. Play clip one, please. I say to my friends on the Republican side, you may own the field right now, but you won't own it forever. And I pray God when the Democrats take back control, we don't make the kind of naked power grab you are doing. Senator, any hypocrisy there among Democrats? <laughs> Absolutely, Tony. And we see this time and again. Um, And we have turned this, the filibuster flip-flop in the United States Senate. Uh, We have seen this with our now President Joe Biden. We have seen this with the Democratic leader Chuck Schumer of New York, where just a handful of years ago he was saying that elimination of the filibuster would spell out uh, doomsday for democracy. And obviously his tune has changed there as well. And we've called them to the carpet on this. And uh, I know that there are many members that are dreading having to take a vote. Should Leader Schumer decide to go forward with that vote, they really do not want to have a record. They do not want to be on record having eliminated the Senate filibuster and allowing that simple majority to reign in the United States Senate. So uh, I don't know why he would throw his members under the bus like that, especially those that are in very vulnerable states right now. But I think it's all about self-preservation for him. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that explains a lot trying to ward off a primary challenger from New York. Not going to say who, mm-hmm. but someone who's gotten <laughs> a lot of attention. Senator Ernst, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you, Tony. Have a great day. You too. Senator Joni Ernst of uh, Iowa. All right, when we come back, what do these two Supreme Court decisions differing on the vaccine mandates, COVID vaccine mandates, mean to the states and to the pending cases that are out there. We're going to talk with Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita, who has been at the forefront of fighting these mandates. He joins us next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you 
for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Check it out. As we were just discussing, two differing decisions from the nation's highest court on COVID vaccine mandates by the Biden administration. How would these decisions impact the states that took the Biden administration to court over the uh, the mandates? And what other lawsuits, which are pending, uh, how will they be affected? Joining me now with uh, answers to this is uh, Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita. Uh, he helped lead the way on this, fighting against the Biden mandates. Uh, Attorney General Rokita, welcome back to the program. Hey, great to be back with you. Let me get your response, uh, your your thoughts on today's decisions. Well, you know, we had a good day today. Uh, the court agreed, most of the court agreed, uh, with several like-minded states who thought, you know what, this OSHA mandate that uh, the Biden administration, Mr. Biden himself, has uh, demanded OSHA do is way overbroad. Even Congress, when they, when they enacted uh, OSHA only meant it to be for the workplace, uh, not uh, uh, the entirety of our, our public health. And the court correctly saw that argument. And, and that's why they said, look, these states are likely, and, and the other entities that filed suit, are likely going to win on the merits when it comes back to the trial court. So we're going to put a stay on this OSHA mandate until it's all over. Which and who knows if the federal government will even continue on with their lawsuit at this point. But uh, the good thing now is is that if you're uh, if if you work at a private employer, a hundred or more, or even up in some cases public employers that are a hundred or more, that your employer cannot say or or, or try to um, make the case that the federal government or the Biden administration is making them do that because there is a national stay of that mandate currently in place will there be an expedited trial of this will will the the courts take this up in a in a a rapid manner so that we can get a final decision you know tony i think that's a fair fair question um i'm more of the opinion that it's over uh that this that this stay will cause the issue to go away at least for the foreseeable future but uh the technically the case still goes on the merits and the government uh, federal government may continue to try to fight this, but it was, 
And if they do, we'll ultimately be back in front of the same judges, uh, uh, or unless, of course, one passes away or resigns or something like that. But we'll be back in front of the same court. And so right. it was a pretty resounding decision today from the court that this isn't going to work. Uh, so the, you're saying if if you have common sense, you would just drop it here and you yeah. wouldn't keep going with it. Yeah. But consider what we're talking about. <laughs> and, 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 you know, Tony, the same, the same token, uh, consider the private employers who secretly or maybe overtly wanted to do this to their employer employees anyway. I mean, all that happened today was that the government can't mandate it. And therefore, employers who are likely to want to do this to their employees anyway can't use the federal government as the fig leaf right. or the excuse right. to do it. But certainly there's this issue of what a private employer can do or not that still is going to resound through state houses around the country. So, in other words, the issue of vaccine mandates is far from over. Let me ask you this question, uh, General. When you look at some of these other cases that the, the court did not take up today, what implications may these decisions have on those cases? For instance, you've got the you've got the one I think you've been involved in with uh, the um, um, the federal contractors, right. uh, Head Start. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's going to it's going to bode well for those cases. Uh, uh, you know, that, that, that's yet to be seen. We have to argue those cases in front of this, the, but in front of the same court. So uh, slightly different uh, kind of a fact pattern in the sense that the federal contractor case was an executive order made by uh, President Biden uh, to, do, to do this to employees that had federal contracts with the we had contracts with the federal government. Uh, and, but, you know, if they smack down the OSHA argument because OSHA's not was never meant by Congress to be that broad. It's also kind of hard to argue then that the federal government through the through the executive branch, the presidency itself, can say to a, the employee of a federal contractor, you have to do this, that, and the other thing that has nothing to do with the federal contract. Right. So yeah, I would think the contractors that that one uh is on very thin ice. The Head Start program, I would think maybe similar to what we saw with the Medicare Medicaid facilities. Uh, funded facilities with the healthcare workers. Is there similarities there? Yeah, I do see the similarities in the sense that uh, Head Start is federally funded. Uh, these these hospitals uh, are also federally funded through Medicare, Medicaid, and so there's a nexus to the federal government there that's stronger than in OSHA, uh, the OSHA case, which is a little bit of apples and oranges. Uh, so there there is that, and there's this idea of like in the CMS case, which we did lose the stay today. Uh, that is, it's in effect, um, the HHS secretary in the CMS, in the CMS case has, by definition, broader public health concerns. You can argue that that's not the role of the federal government. You would be a great argument. But the fact of the matter is Congress made that law, uh, made the HHS secretary to be in, uh, involved with broader public health uh, decisions. Now, that does head start in terms of the safety of teachers and children have that same kind of broad mandate right. as well. We'll find out. Well, hopefully. I think it helps you with your argumentation of uh, zeroing in on some of the arguments that uh, carried the day. One final question for you, going back to the Medicare Medicaid funded facilities. This doesn't resolve the problem for the states because the states are having a, a shortage crisis of healthcare workers who are being forced either to resign their positions or being fired for not taking the jab. So this this doesn't solve the problem many states are facing right now. You know, I agree with that. Uh, of course, the establishment, the hospital establishment, some of the political establishment likes to say, no, 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 we only lost X number compared to the total number of employees we have over the jab. But when you're on the margins like this, and if the beds are really that tight and the hospitals are that full, which, you know, we'd have to also look at how that is different from any other time. Uh, but if they're really that tight, you need every hand on deck. I mean, there was big news in Indiana made about six, just six uh, National Guardsmen helping out in one hospital. And, and everyone bragging about how that made such a difference. Well, if six is a big number in that kind of situation, then again, yeah. we need everyone we can possibly get. And it doesn't help when you're mandating this against people who work in, a, in an environment where they should know better how to take care of themselves than they do. Yeah. General Rokita, thanks so much for joining us and congratulations uh, for helping lead the fight against these mandates. Congratulations to the Republic and the people. All right.
Very good. All right, folks, when we come back, the Food and Drug Administration has become quite the powerful government agency. Guess what? Another radical has been nominated to head it up. Senator Braun of Indiana is with us next. Don't go away. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as we've come to see the past two years uh, amid the COVID pandemic, the Food and Drug Administration wields an incredible amount of power over big and small aspects of our lives, on everything from approving the three COVID vaccines available to uh, evaluating effectiveness of pills made to treat COVID patients. What you might not know is that the FDA also oversees other aspects of the medical field, like abortion-inducing pills and how people can get them. Because of COVID, the use of abortion pills and how they are being administered has become a significant health issue. For that and other reasons, President Biden's nominee for the FDA, Robert Califf, has many alarmed And one of the senators raising that alarm is Senator Mike Braun of Indiana. He's been sounding the alarm, and he joins me now by phone just off the Senate floor. Senator, welcome back to the program. Hey, good to be back on, Tony. Well, Senator, let me first uh, say thank you for bringing attention to this uh, nominee who is really outside the mainstream. But he has a track record coming from the Obama administration when it comes to pushing these uh, abortion pills. Tell our listeners your concern about the president's nominee for FDA. Well, uh, the big reason is that um, when he was there, he didn't show any interest in protecting the sanctity of life and keeping that uh, as a uh, consideration in terms of what he decided to do under his leadership in 16. They expanded uh, access to the uh, chemical abortion drug uh, that um, now looks like it could be the main modus operandi of uh, affecting an abortion. And he's beguiling in a way because he talks about data, doing the, you know, kind of taking the scientific approach uh, to where like on diseases like ALS and others that I've been a proponent on advancing, speeding up the FDA's kind of stodgy framework where there aren't good existing therapies, uh, let alone cures. But when it comes to uh, those of us that are 
put the sanctity of life as a priority out here, you know, he'd be the one that orchestrated uh, the chemical abortion, and that happened during the uh, Obama administration. And uh, sadly, he made it through committee today. Um, he's going to get, nom- you know, he's going to probably get the floor vote that uh, puts him in as our next FDA commissioner. Um, just need to have a big heads up of what he did back then when it comes to that particular issue. Yeah, and, and to be very clear on this, the as you talk about, there's procedures in place to make sure that the health aspects of these um, medical uh, instruments, in this case, these abortion pills, these are very risky. And they, they kind of short-circuited this in pushing these things out. And that's the concern here is, is obviously for us, life issue, but it's the life of the mother, too, that's put at risk when we don't thoroughly vet these uh, these so-called medicines. Yeah, and sadly, when you err on the side of expediency uh, for uh, making it as easy as you can uh, to complete an abortion, you get those kinds of dynamics. And uh, I think that um, uh, in the time I've been here, which is now about three years, uh, sadly, a lot of this stuff uh, just gets through the system. It's so important that, uh, you know, we regain the, one of the two chambers in uh, 2022 and ideally the Senate. So when it comes to appointments, uh, we at least can put a stop to something like this. Uh, sadly, it won't be until 2024 or the Congress that begins in 2025 to where we can fix it. In the meantime, you have to live with it. And the best thing any of us can do here is just point out, especially when you've got nominees that do have pros and cons to them, and uh, Dr. Califf would be one of them, you know, how egregious it is when it comes to particular issues when the sanctity of life is important. Anything that our viewers and listeners can do as this progresses to the Senate floor? I don't think so. I have not. When I was here, and I'll give this as a great example why it's uh, so important that you kind of keep those reins of power to prevent nominees like this. Um, I'll never forget one more than a month, month and a half into serving, and Ben Sass is bringing a bill to the Senate floor, what's called unanimous consent, meaning that Sometimes something so clear-cut, so innocuous, it goes through, and unless somebody comes to the floor to object, and of course would have been the born alive bill, where in a botched abortion, if a baby survives, it was to say that you got to do everything to keep the baby alive. Um, Patty Murray from Washington actually came to object. That's how big a deal pro-choice abortion rights are to the other side of the aisle. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And elections have consequences. They sure do. Uh, Senator Ron, so good to talk to you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, Senator Braun of uh, Indiana. He he really has been fighting a lot of stuff. In fact, didn't get to talk to him about it, but he was one of the ones in the Senate uh, leading the effort against some of the mandates as well, these vaccine mandates. So fighting the good fight. If he's your senator in Indiana, you got a good one there. All right, Senate Democrats are saying they have to change the rules in the Senate so they can have a federal takeover of elections. Well, let's talk about the issues that are really driving voters and elected officials. Next, don't go away. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. 
Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students, are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side -side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown DC, giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Check it out. Lots of resources there for you. All right. I want to go back to the Republican leader in the Senate, uh, his comments today earlier on the floor regarding uh, a recent poll of what is at the top of the list of concerns for Americans. And I'm going to talk more about it in just a moment. But play clip number four, please. Nobody in this country is buying the fake hysteria that democracy will die unless Democrats get total control. Here's what people do care about. The top response at 21 percent was poor government leadership. About a year into the Biden administration, the American people's single greatest concern is bad leadership. And when you dig into the other issues, you can see why. Well, the AP, and you know I do not trust the AP, but they had a poll, and I was actually reading this morning, early, early this morning, um, an article. Uh, Abortion grows as priority issue for Democrats at the AP Norick poll. And it, it talks about how abortion now is a big issue among Democrats. So I want to go back and look at the actual poll, you know, and look at the, the cross tabs to kind of see where people were. So I went and got the, uh, got the in, entire poll. And let me give you what the top five issues for Democrats are. Okay. It probably won't survive, surprise you, but the number one issue is, uh, is, is gun issues. And this was open ended. And they just said, you know, they name the issue that you care about. Now, um, one of the issues that has risen arisen here lately is the issue of the uh, the economy. But gun issues, COVID-19, environment, climate issues, education and health care reform. Now, that's uh, that's among Democrats. That's their top five issues. Uh, Republicans, immigration, economy, COVID-19, foreign policy. Inflation. Now, what's kind of surprising ab about this is, uh, according to this poll, is that COVID-19 is increasingly overshadowed by concerns about the economy and personal finances. Uh, you know, but last year was all about COVID. Well, 
the Dems need to probably take, the Democrats need to take a, a lesson from James Carville. Now, some of you might not remember who he was, but he was uh, the mastermind, I guess, behind Bill Clinton. He was Bill Clinton's campaign guy and ended up working in the White House as his advisor back in 1992. And they had a sign over the door in the campaign that said, it's the economy, stupid. Well, the economy outpaced the pandemic in the open-ended question with 68% of respondents mentioning it. Now, uh, the reason I bring this up is that as, um, oh, by the way, the White House says that COVID-19 is waning as a preeminent concern because that says the White House has been successful in fighting it. Who believes that? Maybe the White House, but that's it. The reason I bring this up is the Democrats, Chuck Schumer, saying we've got to have election reform, quote-unquote reform. It's takeover, federal takeover, because this, is what the, this doesn't even register among concerns of the American people. Now, among Republicans, there is concern, although it's not in the type five, top five, of election integrity. That is a concern after 2020. This is about, as has been said, grabbing power. But there's more to it. So you hear a little bit about this carve out. Well, we're just going to do this for election reform. We, we're going to we want, we got to clean up elections, a free and fair election. Got to save our democracy. The reason I point out these other issues is that if, in fact, they were to somehow subvert the Senate rules and, and eliminate the legislative filibuster, they would not do it just for the election issue. Next would come. Second Amendment issues. Then would come, especially with a pending Supreme Court decision on abortion, then would be, then would come abortion issues. Then third on the list of voters, they'll eventually get to the voters, is uh, the Democratic voters, their concerns, is climate change. So the Green New Deal. And, of course, Schumer's got to do that to keep AOC from running against him, from primarying him in the Senate. Then you have education, more government takeover of education. So if... And, and as we heard earlier from Senator Ernst, it, it does not look like they've been able to shake the other two Democrats loose to change the Senate filibuster rules. But if they fall, do not think that the effort will stop with election reform. It will be every left wing grab bag item that they can think of, and they will shove it through before the midterm election. That's what's at stake. And it's the country that's at stake. Well, I want to turn to this issue now with an expert on the topic of election reform issues. Is what uh, Chuck Schumer claiming that the, the Republicans are running roughshod over the states trying to deny people the right to vote, or are they correcting issues that surfaced in the 2020 election? Joining me now is the president and general counsel of Public Interest Legal Foundation, Jay Christian Adams. Jay Christian, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Tony. All right. So, um, you know, Chuck Schumer claiming that. Well, let me just play this clip of, uh, of of what Chuck Schumer had to say earlier today about his justification for changing the rules in uh, the Senate. Play clip um, number five, please. And how can we in good conscience allow for a situation in which the Republican Party can debate and pass suppression voter, voter suppression laws at the state level? with only a simple majority vote, but not allow the United States Senate to do the same. So how is it these 19 states are just taking away people's right to vote and you've got all these bad Republicans out there? And pay attention to the language. The use of the term voter suppression is a very deliberate strategy. It's a fake term, Tony. There's no law in federal law about voter suppression. It's a term that the left cooked up to blur the line between the legal and the illegal. It, it makes you think that you support Jim Crow if you support voter ID. That's what they're trying to do with their Orwellian language in this area. But you point out something really interesting. This shows that the filibuster, it, the genius of the founders, I mean, this is a limit on government to have a Senate that can write its own rules and slow legislation down just like it was designed to do. And otherwise, Washington would be even more out of control than it is if we didn't have the filibuster. Yeah, I've, I've tried to make that point here from, from just a, a, 
an international standpoint, just looking at kind of the whiplash that the international community got from the change of presidents and how we have completely changed our foreign policy. Well, the, the one kind of anchor of somewhat of stability that keeps us from going completely off the rails is the Senate, because you have to reach this consensus in order to change all of these policies. Right. You ha- the, the founders wanted a country with a legislative body, namely the Senate, that represented the states as states, not as the House of Representatives represents the people. The Senate was designed to represent the states as a union to hold the country together. You couldn't change things without Wyoming and Massachusetts and Florida getting along and saying this is a good idea. That's why we have a Senate. It was designed to limit power so the Washington, D.C. government cannot get out of control. And it's it's working effectively, as we saw today, by killing a federal takeover. Right, right. It, it, but it, we, we tinker with things, things at great risk. I mean, because you go back really to the 17th Amendment and the direct election of senators, and that's where things began to go awry with the judiciary. Because, as you pointed out, the Senate was to represent the states and state legislatures voted. I'm not trying to relitigate something that's you know already passed and done, but just educational. The state legislatures were the ones that selected the senators. So they knew they were going to be looking out for the state business. That includes judges who would overturn decisions and laws of the states. And so that was a check and balance that we lost. This is one, this kind of 60-vote threshold requiring consensus where something has to be really important and there has to be this equilibrium between government and the people in order for it to pass. We lose that. I'm very concerned about the instability that we will see in government in this country. And instability is the key. The founders knew. The founders knew about instability because they studied thousands of years of it. And in the not-too-distant past, they lived it in England through civil wars just 100 years earlier. So the founders understood what caused instability in civil government. They designed a system that they thought would minimize instability. And that's exactly why, unfortunately, the Democrats seem to try to dismantle all of these checks against instability. It's dangerous. You're exactly right. And and to, to tinker with the Senate and the rules in the Senate just to pass a federal takeover of elections really illustrates how dangerous these people can be. Let me let me go to some of these election related issues. You know, the president uh, and the vice president down in Atlanta uh, earlier this week. And, and, and you know, the president got four Piocchios for his um, claims about it being illegal to to give out water in election lines. So he, he continues to repeat that. You know, how does how do the Democratic leaders continue to make these claims that have no basis whatsoever. Something really fascinating, and this is my space ever since I was at the Justice Department voting section. So I've watched this evolve. And what has evolved in the last couple of years is almost like this cult-like orthodoxy about voting issues where they can say anything. Like, you know, you you can't give out water. You're trying to suppress the vote. Uh, It's impossible for African-Americans in Georgia to register to vote. All this chain of lies. It's unhitched from the truth. And they all seem to believe it even more after they hear it. It, it, It's this strange psychological mass hysteria on the left that somehow it's Jim Crow in 2022, when in fact, Tony, it has never been easier to vote and never been easier to register to vote than it is today. Well, I would think that the numbers would prove that given the fact that we had a historic turnout in the 2020 election in the midst of a pandemic. Now, a lot of the issues, for instance, let's take Georgia. Let's focus on it for a moment. They had these um, uh, drop boxes. Now, they, they had never had those previously. It was a unilateral decision. It was loosely. A lot of these things were made at the last minute, so they didn't have good policies or procedures in place. The legislature, as a part of their reform, went back and simply um, established procedures for drop boxes. So for the first time, the legislature has said in their election laws, we're going to have drop boxes in the state of Georgia. But yet the president is down there saying that they're restricting their ability to use drop boxes. 
and they had more early voting in Georgia than they had in Delaware, which was zilch. And so this is just part of this mass hysteria that you can say anything like Georgia and their drop boxes and their early voting uh, procedures or voter suppression, again, a fake term, whereas in Delaware, uh, where they don't have any of these things, uh, that then, uh, you know, that's just hunky-dory. We don't go to, to, to Dover and have rallies. The, Joe Biden is not showing up in Wilmington to criticize Delaware. It's all about power. It's all about politics. So, Mr. Adams, let me ask you a question. Where's the media and holding them uh, accountable? They're on the side of, of the lies. That's, that's the problem. I'll give you an example. Uh, the Public Interest Legal Foundation did a study that showed that county prosecutors in Florida were not prosecuting the voter fraud that county election officials were telling them about. In other words, government-to-government referrals. It's called Safe Harbor. Anybody can get it at our website at publicinterestlegal.org. Well, when the Washington Post heard about this, they were covering Governor DeSantis's decision to try to have a state prosecution agency. The Washington Post springs into action to, to attack Governor DeSantis. They called us. They didn't want our report. They wanted our 990s. They wanted uh, the report that backs up Governor DeSantis's plan. They go to smear us. This is who they are now. They're not truth finders. They're not people to debate the big issues. They're part of the opposition. They're part of the Democratic National Committee narrative. And I guess we have to stop expecting much more from them. You know, and, and, and I agree with you, sadly that that is the case. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't agree with you with, uh, with glee because I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really bad day in America when the media is in, and look, I, I was a reporter a number of years ago and I've always had a high respect for the media I had. Um, but what we've seen is the media has become a part of the opposition party to every conservative constitutional idea. And, and people need to just get that in their head that the legacy media is not going to tell them the truth. Uh, occasionally they might if it's a sports, uh, you know, a score or something. But they're just going to have to find alternative sources like Washington Watch, like the research that you're doing independently, if they want to find out what's really happening. And I'm so glad you use the term legacy media because to imply that they're mainstream media is also not honest because the mainstream American doesn't believe in the values of the New York Times, doesn't believe in the values of the Washington Post. So they really need to lose the term mainstream because the mainstream is squarely against things like NBC Network News, ABC, uh, the Washington Post. So that's I'm glad to hear you use the word legacy because it's more accurate. Jay Christian Adams, I want to thank you for joining us, and I want to thank you for the outstanding work that you do in tracking election reform issues, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. And, folks, I would encourage you. That's a source. You know, you don't necessarily have one-stop shopping anymore for news. You can't pick up a paper and find out what's happening. But if you really want to know, you have check out some of the sources of the, the entities, the individuals we have on the program here. We're not going to steer you the wrong way. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com as well. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says you've done everything you can do. When you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.